A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kauten Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. In this episode about the Shinov and Garlitz Hasidic dynasties of the House of Tzans, and a continuation of the House of Sons that we've spoken about in the past, and this episode has been generously sponsored, Lezecher Nishmas Reb ben Mordechai David Goldberg, Avram Shloima ben Reb Goldberg, and his wife, Brucha Esther Basra Alter Chaim Yeshaya. And her yard site is actually tonight, Bez Nisan. And all of those were true heroes of American Jewish traditional life. Reb Goldberg arrived in the United States at the turn of the century with the blessing of the Shinova Rebbe, and he held on to religious life and Hasidic life and maintained his connections to Tzans. All of their descendants are religious Jews. Rebitzah Goldberg hosted Rebbe Lisha Halbishtam, the Garlitzer Rebbe, on his visit to the United States, and then later on welcomed the Garlitzer Rebbe's children when they arrived later on to settle in the United States. Before we get to Garlitz and Shinov and Tzans, I want to just read a couple of letters. We recently had an episode about uh, Jewish fashion, dress, and modern Jewish history, and hopefully we'll have a part two one day as soon as there's a sponsorship, so be in touch with me about that. So here's a great excerpt from a, a short, a short expert excerpt from a, a letter I received. Uh, here it goes. Reb Chaim Zimmerman famously wore a gray frock on Yontif. When asked why, he explained that the Rambam says that a Talmud Chacham must be distinguished from the Ame Ha'aretz in his dress, and on Yom Tif, he sees a lot of Amaratsim wearing black frocks. So there's um, a guy's humorous uh, line from Reb Chaim Zimmerman. Here's another one I got. This is one of my favorite letters I got. Uh, I love it when, when the great listeners of Jewish History Soundbites keep me updated on to what's going on in contemporary Jewish life and ensuring I don't get too stuck in the uh, past. So this is also about uh, Jewish dress. So here's this uh, letter. With regards to Jewish dress, as you have been out of the USA for a while, I would like to update you. Per popular shopping stores change over time. Sims has been closed for almost 10 years. Century 21 closed in 2020, but may reopen. See the two web links below. Among the national brands, for a while, Joseph A. Bank has been popular, especially for their clearance items. I also think that white shirts from Charles Turwitt were on sale, went on sale are popular. Uh, um, 
this is the, uh, the Century 21 closed in 2020 due to the pandemic. There is a possibility that they may reopen. Okay, fantastic. So I know next time I visit the United States, uh, where to buy my shirts. So I appreciate uh, that assistance. Um, keep in mind, Pesach is coming up, and the Mishpacha magazine Pesach edition, as far as I understood, is going to be longer than the average doctoral dissertation. So you'll want to buy that. You'll have plenty to read. And in that lengthy magazine, there are several articles uh, that are in particular, all of them is great reads, of course, everything, but there's a few, uh, uh, several good stuff, nice long articles and a a lengthy for the record um, by myself and Davi Safir together. And uh, you'll definitely want to read that. And the reason it's going to be so readable is I have to say the, the editing there, uh, they took anything that I wrote, and what Davi writes is always good, but they take what I wrote and they made it readable. So I just want to shout out to Mrs. Shana Friedman, who is, does magic with her editing, and you're going to really enjoy those articles as well. Of course, continuing what I did last episode, I'm going to analyze another few questions from the for the record, Purim Trivia Quiz at the end of the episode, so stay tuned for that. Don't tune off as soon as we're done talking about sons. Stay for another couple of minutes. We'll talk about some of those questions as well. Last uh, update in the Jewish history in the world today, um, the Sfarim Chatter podcast has just posted a fantastic interview with Professor Benny Brown about the history of the Muslim movement. Professor Benny Brown is someone special, a unique scholar, someone who knows everything. I had the privilege of knowing him very well personally and studying under him for a while. And of course, I have all his books, which I recommend uh, highly to everyone, and he has many, many, many of them. And he was interviewed uh, on the Svarim Chatter about the Muslim movement. It's a must-listen. And of course, the Svarim Chatter is a great interviewer. There's also great questions. Whoever wrote those questions or contributed to writing those questions for the interview uh, gets a lot of credit too, uh, yours truly. So the, the, um, the, uh, going back to Sons, um, we had a few episodes about Sons, and um, so you might want to, you know, listen to those as well to, to, you know, have a full picture. Maybe I'll post uh, the links to those in the, in the, in the text. Um, the Divrei Chaim of Sanz, or Chaim Halberstam, the great Sanzarov, he had many, many children with various different dynasties, and today I'm going to focus on two of them, two very important ones. Uh, the oldest son, Rabbi Cheskel of Shinev, the Divrei Cheskel, and one of the most famous, uh, another one who was one of the most famous sons for various reasons, we'll get into his story, Rabbi Baruch Halberstam of Garlitz, the Garlitzer. Each one was a personality and a founder of a dynasty. Both of these towns are relatively near Sanz in Galicia, and they're both on our Kvarim route in the area when we go on, on the trips there. Both of them had significant uh, followings in pre-war uh, Poland, pre-war Galicia, and mo- much of it was wiped out during the Holocaust, uh, so they're less so today. Uh, they both had significant influence in Hungary and Slovakia as well, so they had an impact on, uh, on Jewish life and Hasidic life. Uh, before the war, and it's felt uh, till today. Uh, so I'll just go a little bit about each of who these people were and the dynasties that they founded so we get a, a fuller picture of the House of Sons and its various branches. The oldest child, like I said, was Rebbe Cheskel Shraga Halberstam, Shinev, 
The town is in, in the same general area, like I said, but it's actually closer. It's further north. It's closer to Lezhensk. So it's closer to the general route of, of the tours. He was a brilliant uh, individual. He was very popular. He was quite an independent personality in his own right. And it's interesting that both of these, and, and, and it's natural um, in many of these cases of, of, of children, of celebrities, um, so uh, both, both, many of the sons of the Rechaim were quite impressive personalities in their own right, but they were in the shadow of their father. Um, but uh, but uh, Rebbe Cheskel Halberstam, the Shinover, he he uh, was 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 very much an independent personality in his own right. So much so that he'd visit many of the other tzaddikim of the generation, and he would study by them. And he did not exclusively study by his father. So much so that he considered the Sar Sholem of Bells, the first Bells Rebbe, to be his primary teacher, uh, not his father. Uh, along with Reb Hirsch Mishares of Rimenev, the other the great uh, Rimenev Rebbe, so he was close with both of those. Um, he he gets married again. Here's another influence. His first marriage actually eventually married five times um, over his long life. Uh, several of his wives uh, unfortunately passed away. Um, so the, his first marriage was to the daughter of Reb Aryeh Leib Lifshitz, who was the author of the Aryeh de Beiloi in Hungary, who's this Rabbi Leibovitz, his his father-in-law was Rameisha Teitelbaum, the Yismach Meisha of Il in Hungary, the founder of of uh, the Teitelbaum Hungarian Hasidic dynasty. So Rabbi Cheskel, he proceeds to Hungary to Il to live by his wife's grandfather, by the Yismach Meisha, for many years, and he was even supported by him. Um, so he has he has uh, you know different uh, influences there. Uh, he publishes several svarim. He wrote tshuvas and halacha. He was a big paisik. He studied Kabbalah. He was a rabbi of, the, of, of communities like in the tradition of of Tzans, of the Derechaim. He was a first and foremost a community rabbi. He was a rav, and he eventually was a rebbe also. He did it all. He was uh, very well rounded in the rabbinate. He started off in a shtetl called Rozdol, but he soon went to Shinev, where he would become famous. He moved on from there. He becomes a rabbi in Strupkovs. He's leaving Galicia. Strupkovs actually in Slovakia. Um, so he's one of the first ones to of that uh, of the Tzans uh, people to leave uh, the Galicia area and become a rabbi outside in, in in Slovakia. He then, when his father passes away, he for a short time he's the rabbi in Tzans before he defers to his younger brother. Then he goes back to Strupkov. And then he goes back to Shinov, and there he remains until his passing in 1898, when he's in his 80s. Uh, so he was known as the Shinover. He had a close relationship with his father, but he went on his own path. He became a Rebbe in his father's lifetime, which is quite rare in the history of the Hasidic movement. And he was very independent, and he even changed some of his father's customs, which again, is not so common. He did his own thing. He had thousands of Hasidim. He enjoyed a, a very immense popularity. Uh, and uh, he was a big paisik. He was very influential in the halachic uh, circles as well. Um, and he had a different uh, personality than his father. He was less polarizing. He was less extreme than his father. He was very strong-minded in many ways, but he had his own way of leadership. Uh, one of the unique things that he did was, uh, I mentioned this in other episodes, that he visited the land of Israel. He visited Eretz Yisrael in 1869, which was very rare for Rebbe's to do at, at the time. And what makes the story even more unique is what was going on in Sanz at the time, which I'm going to get to later on in this episode. It was during the Sanz Sadigura Machlekes dispute, which was a very bitter dispute, and what was Rabbi Cheskel's role, or lack of a role rather, uh, in, in it, uh, in, which is a very interesting part of his story as well. We'll get back to that. While he's in this visit in, his, in Israel, it was 
Palestine then, uh, he establishes the Sans Shul in Tfas, which is still active to this day. He built it and he, he built a mikvah there also. And there's a plaque at the entrance when we see when I take the lead the tours in Tfas, in the old city of Tfas, in the cemetery. So we go to the Sans Shul, you see the plaque that uh, the Shinever is the one who founded the Shul. And he stayed in Israel for about two years in Eretz Yisrael. And he, though he was supportive of the Hasidic settlement there, he was very opposed to the early years of the Chobavei Tzion movement, the lovers of Zion movement, and early Zionism. He passed away in 1898, so it was before there was real, uh, uh, you know, an active Zionist movement, but he was one of the early uh, leaders of the opposition. Um, he was very influential over the next generation of Hasidic leaders. Many of them considered themselves students of his, including the Ostrov Sergei, Mary Hill Halstock, so people like that, uh, and he had a diverse uh, and uh, widespread uh, influence. His children um, continue in, in the rabbinate, and primarily in the rabbinate, also as, as Hasidic leaders in the next generations. One of his sons was Reb Moshe Halberstam, who has continued the dynasty in Shin of itself. But he had another son named the Ravram Shalom Halberstam, who becomes the rabbi in Strapkov, where his father had been the rabbi twice in Slovakia out there. So he's founder of the Strapkov Hasidic dynasty. Very interesting individual, interesting customs. Just one example, his name was Shalom. Reb Shalom Halberstam, and he's named after the Sar Shalom of Bells, actually. And then he adds himself, he adds to himself the name of Rome later on in years as a skula for old age. So he gives himself the name of Rome as a skula for old age. He passes away in 1940. Uh, most of his family was wiped out during the Holocaust, but his son and successor, Reb Menachem Mendel, the second Strapkava Rebbe, miraculously survives. And most of his family was also wiped out, and he himself was hiding in a bunker, uh, together with Remachol Ber Weismandel in the last weeks of the war, and he's the one who uh, rebuilt Strapkov uh, following the war um, until he passed away in the 1950s. So we move on from uh, the Shinever to the Garlitzer. Baruch of Garlitz was the fifth and youngest son from the Divrichaim's first marriage. Uh, the Divrichaim had subsequently had several more children from his third marriage, but from his first marriage, the, the Baruch was the youngest son. Uh, so he seems to have been one of the closest and uh, to his father. He was one of the most famous of his sons, one of the most outspoken, definitely was the most outspoken of the brothers. He was his father's right-hand man in many ways. Um, and he's named for his grandfather, his maternal grandfather, the Baruch Tam, the famous Paisik and, and rabbi of the previous generation in, in, uh, in Galicia. And uh, he was with his father, a, in, in, like his father's personality, even more extreme, a very... Um, very uh, strong-minded, very uh, extreme, a bit of a zealot. And he it makes sense, he marries the daughter of Rabbi Kusil Yehuda Teitelbaum, the Yetav Lev of Siget. So another link, here we have all these links to the um, to the, the Teitelbaum uh, Hasidic dynasty through both, through the different marriages that are made. It's important to understand the multiple Galicia-Hungary connections in the Hasidic world and the Halberstam Teitelbaum specifically connections in the in in those two dynasties very a lot of mutual cultural and religious influences on each other in many ways and there's a lot to talk about that in general about how the Galicia Hasidic way influenced Hungary and how Hungary influenced Galicia and in, within the Siget and, and Sanza dynasties and these marriages within the the Rebbe's families which happened multiple times over the generations is uh, was a, had a decisive impact on on the Hasidic life in, in those areas. Um, so Rebaruch is a per- perfect example of, of, of this synthesis. He used to accompany his father everywhere on all his travels. 
And he almost became a rabbi at a young age in, in Garlitz, which was a prominent town near, near Tzanz. But his father convinced him to defer to his relative, Reb Shmuel Teitelbaum. Uh, so instead, he becomes the rabbi in Rudnik. Now remember that uh, in, 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 uh, in Sanz, you become the rabbi of the town before you become a rabbi. So it's, and, and very often, many of the descendants of the Devi Chaim were just rabbis. They were just community rabbis. Paiskim, Tamid Chacham. And many of them never became a rabbi. It depends. But either way, Sir Rabbarach is a rabbi in Rudnik, which was his father's first rabbinical position. Rudnik is always a position within the Tzans dynasty. And uh, many, many years later, Reb Shmuel Teitelbaum passes away, and Rabbarach comes back to Garlitz to claim the rabbinate. Uh, so his cousin, Reb Yukul Teitelbaum, who is the, the deceased rabbi's son, felt it belonged to him. So it was a bit of a dispute that ensued, and finally a Bezdin decided in Rabbarach's favor, and he remains in Garlitz for the rest of his life, which is where he's buried as well. Um, and he becomes the primary successor to his father uh, following uh, following the Devei Chaim's passing in 1876. Many of the prominent Hasidim, his father, came to Rabbarach afterwards. He had some curious customs. He would not say any Torah at his tish. He had a very combative personality, a bit of a militant even. He had many hidden ways, mysterious ways. People didn't understand always what his customs and his, his habits were. He attempted to hide his Torah greatness from everyone. One of his curious customs was with his habit of being quite critical and blunt and sometimes even rude to many of the greatest tzaddikim of the generation who had come to visit, who would come to visit his father. And some even desisted from coming because they couldn't handle it. And, uh, it was a, a very interesting, interesting personality. One of the big ironies that I find with the Baruch of Garlitz is that Rebarach was likely the one who torpedoed the Shidduch between the Avnei Nezer, Rebavram of Barnstein of Sachachav, and the daughter of the Divrei Chaim. It's supposed to be a Shidduch between the Avnei Nezer and the daughter of the Divrei Chaim of Tzanz. And Rebarach is probably the one who made sure to cancel that and make sure that that wouldn't happen. Why? Because the Avnei Nezer was a Kutzker Chassid. He was a Chassid of the Kutzker Rebbe, of Nachman the Morgenstern. And Rebarach didn't like that. And, and, and so it didn't happen. Now the Avnei himself goes on to marry his Rebbe, the Kutzker's daughter. So he didn't do off too bad. He ends up being the son-in-law of, of the Kutzker. But the irony is that Rebarach's daughter, Rezel, on her third marriage, he, she goes ahead and marries the Svasemes. It was the Svasemes' second marriage, and it was Rebetzin Rezel's third marriage. So the Svasemes, who's of course Ger, Kutzk, he becomes the son-in-law of Rebarach of, of Garlis. Uh, ironically. Um, Rebarach was seen as a leader to adjudicate other disputes at the time as well. He was famous, uh, famously serving as the arbitrator in the Vizhnitz Siget dispute over control of the Hungarian Kyle in the old Yishev in Eretz Yisrael. And uh, in speaking of Eretz Yisrael, so the Zionist movement was on the rise in Rebarach's later years. Rebarach passes away only in 1906, several years after his older brother. And he voiced his very strong opposition to the movement. He was one of the first and most vocal, definitely, of anyone from the House of Tzans in his staunch opposition to Zionism. And he paved the way for what would become the official Tzans' official position in regards to the Zionist movement in the coming generations. Though, Even though post-Holocaust and post-founding of the state, there were some modifications in the in the in some, some of the branches of the Tzans' position, but for sure, pre-war, he paved that, the way. He was very close with his brother, Bechesko Shinov, despite uh, their differences. And what their differences, I think, is best illustrated in their differing approaches 
to their father's famous war with the uh, with the with the Sadiger dynasty. Machlekes, the famous, this terrible, uh, vicious dispute, one of the worst ones in the history of the Hasidic movement between Sons and Sadigur, which lasted from 1869 to 1876 until the Debrechaim passed away. Um, so the that dispute, so Rebbe the Shinever visited Israel then, which was a Sadiger stronghold as far as the Hasidic community was, uh, was, 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 was concerned. And he goes there at the peak of the dispute. He's away for two years. He's not in Galicia for those two years. He didn't want to be involved. He tried to stay away from it. He seemed to not agree with the forcefulness of his father's position, or or even to agree with the cherem that his father placed on the tzaddikim of the Sadiger dynasty. And that's best illustrated by the fact that the Shinever had enjoyed a close relationship with her David Maisha of Chartkov. And incredibly enough, he had a close personal relationship with one of the greatest tzaddikim of the Sadiger dynasty, someone who ostensibly was in cherem by his father. Um, on the other hand, Rabarach seems to have been, uh, the garlic serve seems to have been the main organizer of the whole operation. He even controlled it to a certain extent. He was the one who, got, you know, the, the information that got to the Devrichayim and, and what should be done about it. And he seems to have been the main, uh, you know, behind the scenes operator of the whole dispute with Sadiger was, was the Garlitzer. So you have the very two diff- different approaches of two brothers and they both uh, remained close uh, for the rest of their lives. Um, the, a little bit about the, Descendants of Rabarach Garlitz. His son, uh, when he passed away in, in 1906, his son Rabzvi Hirsch Halberstam becomes the Rav. He became the Rav actually in Rudnik also, continuing the tradition. And one of his sons was the famous Rabbi Kusil Yehuda Halberstam, the Kleisenberger Rav. So the Kleisenberger Rav was the grandson of Rabarach. Um, another son was Rabelisha. Rabelisha uh, Halberstam was succeeded his father in Garlitz. He was a very interesting individual. He married his first cousin, the daughter of Remordechai Doiv, uh, Ramatula Tversky of Harnestipel. And he lived by him in Harnestipel in Ukraine for 15 years. Rebelisha was a big, very big Talmud Chacham. He becomes the rabbi in Garlitz following his father's passing. And he was very popular in the community. He was also a Hasidic rabbi, despite the fact that he had a lack of desire to be one. He did not like Kvitlach. He wanted to be a rabbi. He wanted to be the Rav of the Talmud. The Hasidim insisted um, and he did something which was quite rare. He visited the United States in 1927. There were Rebbes who were moving, who were immigrating, who were settling in the United States at that time. But just to come for a visit, that was, I don't know, I think one of the first, as far as I know. Um, of course, two years later, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the, the Rayats, made a very famous visit, but that was two years later, that was in 1929. Uh, there's 1927, he made a visit, the uh, visit to, to the United States. Um, and like I said, he was hosted by his chassid, Rebbe Goldberg, at the time. Um, so the, the, he returns to Garlitz. He was actually close with the Ger Rebbe, the Imre Hemes. So it's funny that in several different ways that Sanz and Polish Hasidus somehow did connect in the end. Now, when the Nazis invaded Poland in 1939, so Elisha escapes to the east. The Russians, the Soviets, exile him to Siberia, where he passes away shortly thereafter. But a bunch of his children moved to the United States, several Garlitz Rebbes, before five different Garlitz Rebbes, all in the United States. All of them were his sons. One of them actually called themselves called himself the Dinava Rebbe, another few in Israel who called themselves also Garlitz. So he had several of his children who, you know, were uh, officially Garlitz uh, Rebbes, but the dynasty never really picked up uh, after the war for some reason. There was another son of Rebbe Baruch 
whose name was Rabbi Sinai Halberstam, who founded the Tzan's Zimigrod uh, dynasty, which still exists until uh, today. And it's interesting, uh, Sinai is not a very common name, so even though Rabbarach was more on the conservative side, so when it came to naming, he had a liberal streak in him, apparently, also. So that's uh, a little bit about the um, Garlitz and Shin of dynasties. I want to get, just for a couple of minutes, uh, to uh, analyze a few more of the questions from our uh, for-the-record trivia quiz uh, that we had, ran in Mishpacha Magazine on Purim. Now, one of the questions was, Rabbi Ruvain Elbaz and Rabbi Shimon Ba'adani, prestigious members of the Mo'etzet Chachmea Torah, are products of this yeshiva system. A. Chenechatzmai, B. Navardik, C. B'nei Akiva, D. and Shas. So the correct answer is Navardik, which is ironic, because Navardik is, doesn't seem like to be a Sephardic uh, uh, yeshiva. And what's interesting is that in the post-war, Navardik, uh, for sure in France, where many of the Sephardic Jewry from mostly Morocco dropped from Algeria, Algeria um, came and studied in Rubgershon Lieben and in the Navardic uh, yeshivas that he established in France. And uh, that's where many of the Sephardic B'nai Torah uh, arrived from the next generation. But also even in Israel, the, the Navardic yeshivas that, uh, that were established, Tel Aviv, B'nai Brak, Yishlaim, Chadera, and others, um, were in those early years, the 1950s, um, there were sev- several uh, uh, future prominent uh, Sephardic uh, Torah leaders who studied within the Navardic uh, yeshiva network. And, and they, they accepted everyone. They actually actively recruited them um, in, 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 in the new, new, among the new immigrant communities in the 1950s. And that's how many of them got there. Of course, the other options of Chinech Atzmai and B'nai Akiva and Shas were very prominent and very successful at other, uh, you know, also in, in Torah uh, uh, movements and with the youth and establishing uh, institutions, uh, they, they deserve their credit also, just specifically here was Navardic. Another, another next question we had was, which one of these transformative figures was not born in the town of Mir? A, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin the Nativ. B, Rabbi Eliezer Yehuda Finkel. C, Rabbi Sezal Meltzer. D, Israeli President Zalman Shazar. And the correct answer, ironically, is Rabbi Eliezer Yehuda Finkel, who was the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir, and for many, many years, but he was not born in the Mir. He married into the Mir family. He married the daughter of Rebbe Baruch Kamai, only came to the Mir later. And interestingly enough, the other three, the Nitziv's father, Rebbe Yaakov Berlin, was one of the leaders of the Mir community. Rebbe Sezal Meltzer was born in the Mir when he arrived in Valazhin. When he was 13 years old, he was known as Junya Mirer. And the Israeli president, Zalman Shazar, used to speak nostalgically about his growing up in the town of the Mir. In his memoirs, he mentions it and what it was like about the town and the other side of the town, we only know about the Mir Yeshiva today, but he tells us a lot about the, uh, you know, about the, uh, the general community in the, in Mir. Another uh, question we have here is, which one of these Gedolim is buried outside of Eretz Yisrael? A, Rabbi Yosef Yezel Horovitz of Navardik. Uh, B, Rabbi Meir Shapiro. C, the Avas Yisrael of Vizhnitz. D, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. And the correct answer is Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. And the, what's interesting is, is that the other three were buried outside of the land of Israel. All three were pre-war rabbis, and they're all buried in their respective communities. They were buried, in the, the, the altar of Navardic was buried in Kiev, where his last stop was at the end, after World War I, during the Revolution time. Rabbi Shapiro was buried in Lublin. Avis Trovizhnitz was buried in, I don't think it was in Vizhnitz, I think it was in Grosvardian, or one of those towns in Romania at the time, so double-check that. And they were transferred, they were brought, because of different reasons, mainly because of the communists. Rabbi Shapiro, they're destroying the... Uh, the, Soviet, the Soviets were destroying the cemetery in Lublin in the 1950s, 
And then Alter in Nevada, the same thing happening in Kiev. The Soviets are destroying the Kiev Jewish cemetery in the 1960s. And they had to smuggle out their bodies. The Avistral Divisionist is a different story. They wanted to bring the visions to Rebbe to be rebury him in Ibn Abrak. And the and Rebbe Shapiro and the Alter in Nevada are reburied in Haramanuchas in Yerushalayim. Whereas Rebecca Kamenetsky chose to be buried in the United States and he said he wants to be near, that his, his, his children and grandchildren want to come visit and pray by his gravesite. They should be able to have access without having to get on a plane and spend a lot of money and a lot of time. Uh, it would be very expensive. It should be easy and accessible for them to come visit him. And he's buried in the Mount Judah Cemetery. It's a fantastic cemetery to visit. I gave a tour of it when I was in the United States last year. It's uh, a lot of great Torah leaders there, and it's uh, nobody, nobody really goes to visit there, but uh, maybe you know, it's a, a place to go to, to go see. Um, time for one last, uh, one or two more questions from the quiz. Let's try to get in as many as we can. While visiting America in 1938, Rabbi Wasserman visited this Catskills summer camp. A, Camp Tarabadas. B, Camp Agoda. C, Camp Monk. D, Camp Masifta. And the answer should have been easy. It was Camp Masifta. The other three didn't exist, as far as I know, at the time in 1938. And there's also pictures of Rabbi visiting Camp Masifta. It was Rabbi Shagafai Vomendelovich's dream of having a yeshiva camp up in the Catskills, and that's where Rabbi Wasserman visited. One more question. Arriving in New York in 1890, this tzaddik is known to be the first Hasidic Rebbe ever to visit America. A, the Buffalo Rebbe. B, the Yampula Rebbe. C, the Sulitzer Rebbe. D, the Biana Rebbe. And although the Buffalo Rebbe and the Sulitzer Rebbe, I'm sorry, the Buffalo Rebbe was very early on, came in the about the turn of the century. The Biana Rebbe came a little later. He came in the 1920s. The Sulitzer Rebbe came also a little later. The first one to come was the Yampula Rebbe, who was a... Um, the father of the Skolia dynasty from Ukraine, and he came in 1890. Um, first Hasidic Rebbe, also buried in Mount Judah Cemetery, like I mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, so that's, uh, there you go, another another interesting uh, tidbit. So this was, we'll continue with this over the next few episodes, getting to all the questions and speaking about them a little bit and a little bit of background and analyzing. So this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, sponsorships, lectures, and you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, Follow us on Twitter at Soundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.